Cool. So I want to talk today about a specific topic. Um, but really, everything I, I want to say um, takes place in the context of what God has been speaking to us as a church, as a whole, for quite a long time. Um, and so I just want to start by providing a bit of context. I'll try and do it quite quickly so that we don't run out of time. But, um, but really, there's been this word to us as a church for the last several years, really, uh, about a broad place. This is the phrase that we've been given, uh, that God is moving us into a broad place. And we really don't want it to become a, just a phrase that's thrown around, just a buzzword um, that's thrown around, that we don't really know what it means. But we want it to be something that we can, we can really understand and really grasp, so we know what this, this broad place looks like. So the word is that God has, has moved us from a place of restriction um, to a, a very spacious place. And some of the things that we think it's going to look like is uh, a place of encounter, a place of uh, increased move of the Holy Spirit, things like healing, supernatural things, salvations. Uh, we think it's going to look like an advance for the young people and for the children, so seeing them step out and move into new things. Um, and also for a sharper gospel, so a clearer gospel, so that we'd be clearer in kind of uh, telling people about Jesus and talking about his, his good news. And so this is, this is kind of the context. And more specifically, the stuff I want to talk about really started bubbling inside of me around about the time of of clear sound, which was a time away we had as a church uh, last year, around about this time last year, was it, more or less? We were there this time last year. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so really, it's been kind of a year that this stuff has been kind of, uh, yeah, stirring. And for those of you that weren't there at clear sound, it was just a, a time away. It was a time of teaching, of just hanging out together, of worshipping God, and really seeing what he had for us. And I really believe that it was almost a time where, prophetically, we started to move into that land, into that broad place, and start to explore and to dream and to think, right, we're here. What does this look like? What could it, it look like uh, for us? And it was an amazing time. We saw so many wonderful things happen. Uh, we saw many healings. We saw God move among our children in a completely new way. Many of them saw visions of angels and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, we saw people saved. We saw people set free from fear. Um, we saw so many lives transformed, so many amazing things. And I remember coming back from it, and uh, me and Peter arrived home. We had this conversation. We were like, it's amazing. What's happening is so, so good. Um, we were just so excited at, at what God was doing. But we both had this, this same question in our minds, which was, now what? You know, so God's done all this amazing stuff. We've had an amazing time away at Clear Sound. What's next? Uh, we both knew that it wasn't enough to just come home and think, wow, that was fantastic. God, you're amazing. You've done some amazing things. And then just move on and clear sound, become this week that is just a, a time in history where God did some amazing stuff and now it's back to normal. We couldn't let that happen. And so there was this desperation inside of us. And what do we do? What do we do to really inhabit this land and carry with us all the amazing stuff that God is doing? God, how do we steward this and take it, take it forward? And so I asked God this uh, one night that week. I said to him, Lord, what does this look like? What does it look like to partner with you and to be active and to work with you and to see this stuff carry on? And a song title came into my head, and it wasn't a Christian song. It was a Paul McCartney song, funnily enough. Um, and it was just a random thing, and the song title was Sing the Changes. I was like, God, is this, is this you, Sing the Changes? Could that be something that you're speaking? And so I decided to, um, 
look for the CD. Uh, we still have CDs in our house. We're quite old-fashioned. So the, the process of looking for a CD is something that we still actually do. Um, and it could take a long time in, in my house. There's like about nine places it could possibly be. Um, but I, I just went into this room where we have like a, a CD rack, and I kind of glanced at it. And the first CD I was looking at was the CD with this song on it. And so I kind of took that as a nudge, and I thought, okay, sing the changes. God, what are you saying through this? And so I just started pondering it, pondering this idea of singing and, uh, and what it could mean for us. And so I really believe, as strange as it may sound, this idea of singing, of writing psalms and melodies and weaving this, this into who we are as a people is something crucial that God wants to use as we start to inhabit this broad place. And I want to explain it a bit more. But first of all, I just want to uh, mention a couple of things about why it's important to be active when we receive a promise from God. So God's promise to us is that we're in a broad place. That's his word. Um, but it, it can be quite easy when we receive a prophecy or a word or a promise from God to just say, God, that's amazing but then almost like kind of put our feet up and get the popcorn and kind of just watch him do it and expect him just to, just to put on a show for us. And that's really not his heart. All throughout scripture, when people receive a promise from God or a word from him, it's always an invitation to be active and to partner with him and to do something. I think of it a bit like um, receiving a job offer. So it's almost like you apply for a job and, and you get this email back and they say, great, we, we liked your interview, we thought you did really well. You've got the job. Um, it's not something that I've experienced very much in my life, but um, I'm told that's what happens when you apply for a job. Um, but then it's like you, you kind of print off the job offer and you, you put it in a frame and you stick it on the mantelpiece and everyone who comes around to the house, you're like, hey, see that job? I got that job. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, we can't be like that with a promise from God. You've got to actually show up to work. You've got to actually do something. Um, the job offer contains all the information necessary uh, for you to actually rightfully start work in the job, but you've got to actually do it. You know? And so a promise from God is a bit like that. It contains all the information necessary for us to actually enter it. We've got to do it. We've got to do something with it. And so I feel that kind of very sharply for us. The second reason that it's good to, to partner with God and to be active is the broad place. It, it's going to be a, a time of, of adventure for us. I think it's going to be an amazing uh, time. I think we're going to see amazing things and go on a real journey together. But it's not necessarily going to be easy. And I think God just wants to remind us of that. There may be resistance. There may be attack or discouragement. Because essentially the, the land we're entering, it's not just this empty space. It's inhabited. You know, there, there's stuff in there that God wants us to, to deal with. And, and so we're entering this space. And it, there may be resistance. It may not be easy. And if we're just entering it with this passive mindset, expecting God to do everything, then we could be discouraged. We could be thinking, God, really, is this the broad place? Is this, is this what you have for me? There may be even some of us here today who are thinking, why is this happening in my life? When, when we're meant to be in a broad place, everything's meant to be easy and, and spacious. Um, but there's stuff happening that, that doesn't feel right. It feels painful. And, um, and I think sometimes if we have that, that passive approach, then we can get offended when that happens and, and start to question God and to wonder why. But I really think that God wants us to be active and he wants us to be stewarding what he's doing. And I think when we have that active mindset, that active stance, then when we see the difficulties and the discouragements and even the setbacks, we start to see them differently, and we see them more as opportunities for victory rather than defeat. And so I, I think this, this change of thinking or, or mindset change is something we've been talking about um, could, be, could be key. 
And as strange as it sounds, I think that singing is going to play a part in this. So I want to dig into that, into that now. There's one particular story that I want us to look at from the Bible. Um, and it's in 2 Chronicles 20. So I don't know, we could go there, go there now. And um, yeah, I'll just quickly look through the story, then we'll, we'll dig into what, it, what I think it means. Um, so 2 Chronicles 20, we're looking at the life of a particular king of Judah at this time uh, called Jehoshaphat, uh, which is an amazing name. And he's a really interesting guy. It's, if you read through the books of Chronicles of Kings, it's a bit like a roller coaster. So there's these massive kind of ups and downs when you look at the kings who ruled over Israel and Judah. And, um, and you have this amazing king who does amazing stuff, loads of reforms, and they love God, and they really do amazing stuff for the nation. And you're thinking, wow, this is great, they're on a good track. And suddenly along comes a king who just takes it right down again and just completely messes the whole thing up. And everyone starts worshipping all kinds of weird gods, and it's just really not good. And then someone else great comes along, and so it's almost this kind of emotional seesaw if you read through those books. But this guy, Jehoshaphat, he's a good, good king. He's like, if you like, he's one of the peaks on the roller coaster. Um, he's, on the whole, he does make mistakes, but on the whole, he's known as a guy who loves God. And there's a phrase, not in this chapter, but a bit earlier on. It says, he walked in the ways of his father, David, which I think is a really crucial phrase, because we know about King David. He was a man who knew God. He was a man who was after God's own heart and wanted to please God in everything he did. Um, he was a man of intimacy, a man who ran to God. Whenever he faced a difficulty in life, God was his first port of call. He was the first place that he went. And so we know the same is true about Jehoshaphat. If he walked in the ways of his father, David, he was a man who went to God first of all in every kind of situation. There's another interesting phrase about him. It says, he was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And that really interests me as well. He was courageous in the ways of the Lord. It tells me he wasn't courageous in his own strength. He wasn't courageous in what he could do or what his army could do or what his advisors could do. Um, he was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And that's, that's interesting. So let's bear that in mind as we read this, uh, read this, ch- this chapter. Um, it's an interesting story because in chapter 20, Jehoshaphat's at the peak of his reign, if you like. He's popular. Uh, he's respected. He's powerful. The nation is, is very powerful at this point. Um, things are going well. And he's living in the promised land. So he's living in the land that God has given to his people. So if you like, he's a, he's a broad place king. He's living in the broad place. He's like us. He's just a bit further down the line, like he's several generations after, after they've entered. Um, and he knows this. He's aware of this. He loves God. He knows his history of where they've come from. So he's at the high point, if you like, of his reign. But things don't go well at this point in the chapter. And so if we pick up at chapter 20, it says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites... And with them, some of the Mayanites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazaz on Tamar. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So he's attacked at the high point of his reign. And it's an interesting thing because I think it happened to Jehoshaphat and it can happen to us. We can feel like things are going well. We can feel like we're in the broad place, a time of expectation. And suddenly stuff happens and it's like, God, what, where does this fit in your picture? This doesn't make sense. You know, it might be an issue with, with health. 
It might be an issue with our families or a job situation. Um, things that we expected to be fine are suddenly not fine. And we're like, what? what's going on? What's happening, God? This, this doesn't make sense. And Jehoshaphat's in this particular situation. But we're no more immune to these times of discouragement or attack than Judah at this point was immune to invasion. Uh, they had no right to be free from invasion. They were there in the land, but there were other people around and about them that weren't happy about it. And so they were invaded. But I'm so interested at Jehoshaphat's response because he's a king of the broad place. And, and I think we can learn a lot from what, from what he does. It says Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now that's, that's crucial to me because we know that he's a man who's courageous in the Lord. But being courageous in God doesn't mean not ever being afraid. It's about what you do when the fear comes. So he's afraid. But the next thing he says is, is he sets his face to seek the Lord. So when he's afraid, the first thing he does is he runs to God. And that's that spirit of David. It's like, God, I'm afraid. I don't know what's happening, but I'm setting my face to seek you. And he proclaims a fast throughout the whole nation. And what he's doing here is he's saying, business as usual, everything we would have been doing at this point has to shut down. We have to shut down business as usual because this issue is too important. It's going to affect all of us. It's going to affect our families, our wives and children. So everybody has to come and seek God together. It reminds me of those times when there might have been an issue in the network um, and we've gathered together to pray and, and John's basically said, whatever you were planning on doing tonight, that's, that's on hold because this issue is happening and this is more important. And that's kind of what I think is going on here. And so the whole of the nation is, is this incredible picture of just the whole nation gathering before God to seek him. I can't even picture it. Um, and Jehoshaphat standing at the front of this crowd, and he prays a prayer. And it's an incredible prayer. It's one of the most beautiful prayers in the whole Bible. Um, and it's a prayer of vulnerability, of desperation. And he's crying out to God on behalf of his people. And so I just want to read it and just pick apart some of the things he does. It says, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? So we can see that he knows where he's come from. He knows his history. Did you not drive these people out? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? And this is, the, this is an interesting bit at the end. For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This last sentence is like the cry of my heart almost every day of my life. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He's in this desperate situation. These nations are coming to attack him. If you imagine, it's almost like, kind of geographically, they'd be sort of like at Dover, and they're marching towards London. You know, so they're, they're really close. And, and he's afraid, and he's genuinely afraid. But he comes before God, and he says, I don't care about my army. I don't care about any other power or strength I have. 
I am powerless. We are powerless. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what the action plan is, but we know where we're looking, and it's towards you, God. I love that position of his heart. And God is so gracious because immediately God gives him an answer. And out of this crowd of people that is gathered before the temple, someone stands up, a prophet, a man called Jehaziel. I think that's how you say it. He stands up and he says, Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. And he basically explains that these guys, they're not going to have to fight in this battle. They're not going to have to do any fighting. They're not going to have to lift a finger because the battle is in God's hands and he is going to win the victory. In fact, he's already won the victory. It's, it's going to be a non-event. There's going to be no need to do any fighting because the victory is won. And so he gives Jehoshaphat this assurance. And the, the crucial thing is Jehoshaphat believes him. He says, yeah, I take that. That's a word from God. I'm going to believe him. And here's the bit which, which we're kind of looking at today. It's his response to this word from God. It says, they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, this is verse 20, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. And so basically what happens is they start attacking each other. So these armies that come to attack Judah start attacking each other. They wipe each other out, and everything is, is good. Everything is fine, and they collect all of the spoil, and there's a lot of it. But here's the interesting thing. Because he has an assurance of victory, he puts the singers in front of the army, and they go out to battle with a worship song, with a song of worship. I find that so interesting. Some would say that's a crazy thing to do. These people just marching out and singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever, singing this song. I think that's incredible. And I just want us to bear that in mind as we consider uh, this morning. He's a king of the broad place, and when he goes out to battle... He goes out with singing. So I want to unpack this idea of singing. Um, it's something, it's an ability God has designed us with, this ability to sing. Um, and I think every time you look at the way God's designed us, you have to question why. I, I'm interested at least in, in asking why. Why do we have this ability to sing? Why not just, just make us able to talk? You know, so we're talking and there's no melody to it and we're just going on on a level plane and suddenly we add melody to it. And we're singing, and there's rhythm, and there's timing, there's all of this stuff going on. I find that really intriguing. And so I want to ask, why God? Like, why singing? What's going on here? Um, I think it's not about being good at singing. I think it's very easy for us to say, well, I'm not a good singer, or this person's a good singer, they're they're an excellent singer. And always disqualify us from that, that business of singing. But I don't think it's about that. I think there's something about singing. It's shifting gear. You know, we're going along and we're talking, and suddenly we shift gear and we're singing. And I think as long as we participate in shifting gear, no matter what it sounds like, it could sound awful, we're singing and we're participating in that. I always think of a football crowd. I think it's a good analogy for this issue of singing because if you go to a football game, you end up singing quite a bit. Um, No football fan in their right mind gives a moment's thought 
to their singing ability when the crowd starts singing. They just don't. It just doesn't enter your mind when you're in that situation. You just do it. You just lift your voice. You just start singing. You just shift gear. And I think that's, that's what the deal of singing is about. It's not about being good at it. It's about shifting gear. Um, and so I want to question what, what's happening when we sing. What's, what's this business of singing about? I think there's a clue in the Psalms. David was a guy who knew a, a lot about singing. And in Psalm 144, I think he gives us a clue to what's going on. Um, it's an interesting psalm. It's all about battle. It's the psalm where he says, uh, Lord, you train my hands for war and my fingers for battle. There's all this imagery of battle. And he goes through uh, talking about God's strength and God's power. Then almost out of nowhere in verse 9, he says, I will sing a new song to you, O God. So you've got all these images of battle. Suddenly, verse 9, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-string uh, ten harp, I will play to you. Who gives victory to kings? And so there's this pairing of the concept of singing with victory. And I believe that if we're to understand what singing means, I believe singing on this earth, the gift that God has given us, singing is the language of victory. That's what I believe singing is. And I think it rings true when you think of a football game as well. Um, there are two primary ways you can support your team if you're at a football match. One is chanting and one is singing. So chanting, there's no melody to it. It's got you know, short, sharp bursts. It's quite percussive. It's quite rhythmic. And it's what you do when you want to stir your team to get like an extra goal or something, right? So it's when you're like, you're 2-2, two, two, there's five minutes to go, and you need to get that goal to, to win the match. And so you chant, and you, you're trying to rally your team, and you're trying to get them to, to push over the line. That's chanting. It's not singing. It's something completely different. Singing happens when you're 3-0 up, and you're winning the game. And you're saying, we are the champions. You know, you're not singing anymore. It's a, it's a sound of victory. Something happens. You know, it's a shift of gear. Um, and it, it represents victory. And I think that rings true in life, just as it does in Psalm 144, when David's in the middle of this battle, and he's declaring God's victory. And so Jehoshaphat, if we go back to our story, he was able to sing because he had an assurance of victory, because the prophet had stood up and said, guys, you're going to win this battle. Suddenly, he had this right, this ability to sing and to do that and to lead his army out with singing. So I think for us, there will be difficulties in the broad place. It may not be easy, but I think God's watching our response. And I think we have an opportunity to respond like Jehoshaphat did and see enemies defeated in the most glorious way possible, which is through a worship song. How, how glorious is that? How much glory does that bring to God's name that he was able to see defeat and victory through a song of worship? So you might be wondering, how does this apply to us? It's all very well talking about Jehoshaphat. Um, for him, it was a very literal military victory. He had actual armies coming to attack him. We don't have that. So we might question why, you know, how does this apply to us? What's our victory? And I want to unpack this a little bit. And there's two pictures I want to use to, uh, to illustrate it. Uh, the first is a picture of a cave. Um, a little while ago, Jamie and Lucy went on holiday to, to Italy, and they told a story when they got back. They went to this cave. Uh, it was a coastal cave, and it was right, right by the sea, as you'd expect, with a coastal cave. Um, and it was almost quite a dangerous place to go. Um, you could only get into it at a certain time of day, when the tide was just at a certain point, and you had to duck under this cleft of rock, 
and you get into it, it's this dark place, and, and you had to have this tour guide on your boat to kind of let you know everything was all right. And, and it was beautiful because the sunlight was bouncing off the, the sea floor and kind of lighting up this cave. The interesting thing about it that stood out to me when I heard this story was that all the tour guides on the boats were singing while they were in the cave. And so the whole place was filled with this, like, operatic sound of, like, singing uh, filling this place. And it, it sounds incredibly beautiful. Um, so that's, that's the first picture. So a kind of slightly dangerous coastal cave with all these people singing in it. The second picture, my parents went on holiday to Bruges. Uh, and the thing you meant to do when you go to Bruges is you go to visit breweries and, and have a tour of them and like taste all the beer and stuff like that, which they, which they did. And they were in this particular brewery. And there were these kind of big antique copper boilers, like copper kettle things. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're these massive kind of boiler things. And the tour guide was telling them that back in the day, somebody used to ha have to go inside the boiler to clean it. And this was a very dangerous job because it's a con confined space, quite difficult to get in and out. Um, but what they used to do when the, the guy went into the boiler was they used to sing for the duration of the time they were in there while they were cleaning, um, cleaning the boiler. And so for everybody outside, as long as the person was in there singing, they knew that everything was all right. And if the singing stopped, they had to go and get help and, and sort everything out. So these two pictures, you've got the cave and you've got the, the copper boiler. It's interesting to me that people have decided that when you're in a slightly difficult, sticky situation, when you're in a confined space in a copper boiler, or when you're in a slightly dangerous coastal cave, the best way to communicate that everything's all right, that I'm fine, that I'm alive, that I'm doing my job, is through singing. So in life, singing means everything's okay, I'm alive. It's not shouting, it's not chanting, it's not banging on the side of, of the copper boiler. That's not the best way to communicate it. It's through singing. I think there's something in singing, in the melody of it, in the purpose of it. There's almost a defiance. It kind of flies in the face of danger. It's like saying, I'm completely okay. I'm not just alive, I'm completely okay because I'm singing. I'm using melody, I'm using rhythm. It's very hard to do those things, to use melody and rhythm and song when you're fearful. And so it flies in the face of that. And I think it's true in spiritual terms. I think singing is almost the New Testament uh, declaration that we are alive. Um, and I believe that's our victory that we can claim as we sing. It's the same declaration that the father of the prodigal son says when he says, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. When Paul writes to the Ephesian church, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are alive. Because of what Jesus has done, he's died, he's taken our sins, he's defeated death, it has no more sting, it has no more hold on us. And he stood up, he rose from the grave, and with him, we rose with him again. And we're alive. And we're alive. And this is such a beautiful thing. I honestly believe that I am alive is one of the most beautiful declarations we can make as New Testament followers of Jesus. And I believe we make it through singing. I believe our victory that we declare through singing is the same victory that Jesus won on the cross. 
and we make it through singing. So wherever we are, we could be alone in our home, alone in a room on our own. I actually love kind of being in the house on my own because sometimes I just spend time just singing before God and I can't annoy anyone. I can't wind anyone up with my singing. And so I just do it at the top of my voice and I love it. And, and those times are wonderful, but you could be in that place completely on your own, or you could be, as we were this morning, together in a congregation, singing together. It doesn't matter where we are. As long as we're singing, we're saying, it doesn't matter what's happening out there. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life, even what's happening in my body. You know, there could be a million issues waiting for me at work. There could be all of this stuff going on around me, all of these enemies all around me. But I'm alive. I'm alive in you. I'm raised with you, Jesus, and victory is in your hands, and I'm singing to declare that. Death is beaten. It has no more sting. And so Jesus' cry, I am alive, is the prophetic victory for all people at all times. Jehoshaphat had Jehaziel. He stood up in the midst of the people and said, God has won the victory. You've won. You don't have to do any fighting. It's happened. It's done. And if you like, Jesus is our New Testament Jehaziel. He stood up once and for all, and declared before all people, I am alive, death is beaten, victory is won. And we can join with that and declare it through singing. I find that so amazing. It is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. I am able to be with God. I'm able to be in his presence. And so when things are are difficult and I'm not sure what to do, I can look at Jesus, I can look at his victory, I can believe his words, and I can sing. I can, I can do that. I can participate in that. And so I believe that we, as people in the broad place, just like Jehoshaphat, we have the legal right to enter every battle we face in life with singing. We have the legal right to lead into it with singing because Jesus has paved the way and he's won the victory. I think that's what Paul means when he says in Romans 8, in all these things we are more than conquerors. In all these things, whatever the enemy may try and throw at us, Whatever circumstances our life may throw at us, in all these things, we are more than conquerors because Jesus has done it. It's not about denying our circumstances. It's not about saying this stuff isn't happening. Did Jehoshaphat do that? No, he didn't. We read his prayer. He said, this is a desperate situation. I have no idea what to do. He faced his reality head on. He acknowledged it. But he looked to the words of the prophet and we get to look at Jesus, fill our minds with his truth. And sing in the midst of our difficulties. I'm not saying it's easy. It's not an easy thing to do. It's very, very, very hard. And when you've been in that situation and you're, it feels like your world is closing in around you and you choose to sing and you choose to worship God, it's a hard thing, but it's possible. It's possible, and it's something that I want to do. I remember there was a time in my life when my brother, who now lives in Sunderland, but he was living with us at the time, he was going through a very desperate time. And uh, he was suffering with anxiety and depression and really, really low. And um, there was one particular day that was quite bad. And I was just, I was downstairs, I think, in the house. And I just heard this sound, this raucous sound coming from upstairs. I was like, what's that? I went upstairs and um, I went into Peter's room, which is where the sound was coming from. And Toby and Peter um, were in there declaring worship to God at the top of their voice. They were screaming (laughs) songs of worship to God. What had happened was Toby was feeling particularly low. Peter happened to be in his room just strumming his guitar. And not worshipping, just just playing. Toby went in and just laid down on the carpet. (laughs) 
because he couldn't think of anything else to do, and just let the music wash over him. And from that place, something happened, something shifted, and they ended up worshipping. Just gradually, it just built up and up and up. This song of worship just rose out of them till they were screaming at the top of their voice, songs of praise to God. And in that moment, something broke in Toby's situation. And, and that anxiety lifted for the duration of that, that time of worship. It was a time of battle for, for Toby. It was a very difficult time. But he used that process of worship to declare something greater, a greater truth over that situation. I'm not sure what the neighbors thought about it. I think they had the window open because it was in the summer and people were in the garden and stuff. But hey, um, and so I'll, I'll always remember that time because for me, that shows me that it's possible to worship in even the most difficult of situations. And as you look through the Bible, um, you start to see people pop out who've understood this truth, who understand this truth of, of being in the middle of a desperate situation and yet singing in the middle of it. I just want to touch on a few of them. We won't go into much detail, but um, a few people who have this kind of broad place mindset of being able to sing in difficulty. Let's look at Acts 16 quickly. Paul and Silas talk about a desperate situation, they're trapped in prison. Huge injustice, massive injustice. They've done nothing wrong. He's a Roman citizen, and they're, they're trapped in this prison, um, and yet they're praising God because they have access to that, that higher truth. They're looking at Jesus' victory. They're looking at what he's done. And what happens? The, the prison comes, uh, comes crashing down, and, and they're set free, and their jailer is saved. Psalm, 100, uh, so, sorry, Psalm 27 is another good one, another one from, from King David. Um, it's all about being surrounded by his enemies. Verse 6 is particularly interesting. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. So the enemies are still there. They're all around him, but his head is lifted up above them. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So all in one verse, you've got enemies all around him, but you've got melody at that same place. David understood this. He, un- he was tapping into something of the power and the victory of singing. One more story I want to share briefly that I think is quite powerful, and it's, it's about Jesus himself. It's interesting, there's only one recorded instance in the Gospels of Jesus actually singing. And he probably sung a lot more than this, because in those days they used to actually use singing to, to learn the scriptures. So he would have sung, probably, uh, from a young child. That probably, that's probably how he learned uh, the Psalms. But it's at one of the most desperate points of his, his, his life, one of the saddest moments. And it's just after he's, um, he's eaten dinner with his disciples. He's just about to be betrayed. So if you imagine, they're all sitting around this table. And there's almost just this, this silence. And the disciples haven't got a clue about what's about to happen. They don't know what Jesus has to do. They're completely oblivious. But Jesus knows. He knows the obedience that he has to walk in. He knows what God is asking him to do. And he knows the next 48 hours are going to be incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult. Um, And so he's there with his disciples, and they've eaten dinner. And he leads them in a song of worship. It says they sung a hymn. And then he goes out to the Mount of Olives, which is where he cries out to God. And the whole thing begins of his um, arrest and, and crucifixion. And I just, I think about that moment in Jesus' life, and I think... He must have been so pregnant with the weight of what was about to happen. Just, just filling his mind, just that reality, just almost desperate to, to share it with his disciples, desperate to have other people to join him in that place of, of difficulty. 
And yet he can't because he knows this is something he has to walk with God. And yet he leads them in a song of worship. I think it's such a beautiful picture because we have Jehoshaphat leading his people out to battle with the song of worship. And you have Jesus on the eve of the greatest battle that has ever been fought and will ever be fought. And it's the battle over sin and death, a battle that we know he won. And he leads out with a, with a hymn. And I believe that that's, that's how we're called to live. So, Sing the Changes, that was the, the kind of title I had in my mind, Sing the Changes. I believe there are two meanings uh, for us, uh, if we kind of go into sort of more practical things at this point. Two meanings for us, uh, at how this might take shape in our community. One, I think, is uh, actually singing the changes. So, the things that are happening, the things that God is doing amongst us, um, the revelations he's, he's giving us, the things he's doing almost writing these into psalms and songs, almost weaving revelation into music. I think there's something God might have for us in the way of writing psalms and writing new melodies and these things emerging from us. I heard uh, recently that Lions Gang, although I think they're called Torchbearers now, is that right? Torchbearers. Torchbearers. I heard that they started singing a song about Chat and Catch. That really interested me because Chat and Catch is is something that God has given us uh, through Rachel Turner's teaching a way of just engaging with God. And it's been immensely powerful with the children and the young people. And they're singing a song about it. And I think that's, that's just what God is calling us to do. The things that he's teaching us, the resources and the teaching and the revelation he's giving us, I believe he wants us to weave it into music and into song. I think there'll be a, there'll be a power in that. The second meaning uh, for us, I think, is uh, doing battle with singing. So actually entering into times of prayer, times of intercession with singing. And, and it's something I feel challenged to do on my own when I'm praying to God about something. Actually, rather than just coming with this list of things, God, do this, do this, do this, do this, all these issues in my life, and just listing them out, actually entering into that from a place of victory, from a place of singing, um, is something that, that's also happening as well amongst us. When we meet for Harvest Prayer on, on Tuesday mornings um, in the coffee shop, we sing throughout. And we almost want to get to a place where the prayer is indistinguishable from the worship. And it's an incredibly powerful thing to do that. I know when we did our, our week of prayer at the start of this year, we started off with times of worship. And it, that was incredibly powerful, leading out into prayer with worship. There's something about filling your mind with God's victory and declaring that, that positions you to pray with faith that God is going to break through to see difficulties and situations that maybe aren't as they should be, not from a position of, God, what's happening? This is meant to be a broad place. What's going on here? But saying, actually, this is an opportunity for victory. This is another area where God's victory can be declared. So if singing is the the language of victory, imagine praying from that place of victory. Imagine combining song with teaching and that becoming a a part of what we do. And just as, as we close, almost what's, what's more exciting for me about this is the fact that this is something God is doing across the whole globe. Um, we talk about the broad place, and, and this is God's word to us. This is his prophetic word to us. This is the language he's used to talk to us as a church. But I don't believe it's just for lifeline. I don't believe we're almost just in like a kingdom bubble, and, and all this stuff is happening amongst us. But I believe across the globe, there are millions and millions of believers who are awakening to their full inheritance in God and the power of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. And it looks different. It has different expressions for different people. 
But it's exciting to me that we're participating in something that's happening on a global scale. To return to the football analogy that I was using, it's almost like if we're in a football match, it's almost like we're in the last five minutes of the game and we're 5-0 up and, and the game's in the bag and, and it's won and we don't have to worry. We're 5-0 up. There may still be skirmishes on the pitch. There may still be uh, time-wasting tactics from the opposition or red and yellow cards or stuff that, that probably shouldn't be happening. Um, but the outcome is completely sealed. It's not going to do anything to affect the outcome of the game. We're standing on our feet, our arms are raised, and we're singing a song of victory because Jesus has won it. And I believe this is where we are as a people. I believe the body of Christ, the church as a whole across the world, is in this place of singing a song of victory for what Jesus has done. And I actually believe that since the moment Jesus stood up after he was raised from the dead and said, death is beaten, I am alive All authority has been given to me. I believe this should have been the the position of the church all of this time. We're living in a time of favor, a time of salvation. And I believe God is bringing his people back to this point of victory, this awareness of just what an amazing victory he has won at this time. I believe God is restoring a song of victory to us uh, individually, as a whole, but also to the wider church across the globe. And we get to participate in that, and that's incredibly exciting and so that's what I I wanted to share this morning but I I could just pray quickly before we finish Um, so God yeah we we just thank you for your victory Lord we thank you that we get to participate in it and Lord we get to partner with you and God we thank you for this word that you are bringing us into a time of increased expectation Lord that you want to pour out your spirit among us Lord that you want to do amazing things among us, God. And we say, Lord, we want to partner with you. We want to respond to your call, respond to your invitation. And we want to get to work. And so, God, I ask that you would put a song of victory in our mouths, Lord. I ask that you would raise new songs, new psalms, new melodies from among us, Lord, that will declare your victory in this generation, in this world that we live in, in this community that we serve. God, give us a a mindset change that we can see difficulties, resistance, not with despair, Lord, but knowing that this is an opportunity for your victory. This is an opportunity to see your victory declared. You have won the battle once and for all, Jesus. We look to you. We look to your prophetic declaration, Lord Jesus. And we believe you. We believe your words and we align ourselves with that truth, just like Jehoshaphat did. And God, we want to lead out with a song of worship. So thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord.